back with our next episode of That's Haram. This is Sahar. Assalamu alaikum. Corey's with me. Hi. We're switching it up a little bit. I'm getting to do the introduction for once. So we've talked about this episode a billion times, all about fandom and just the ways that fandom has shifted in the last decade to two decades. So we are finally going to get into it. I've been talking this episode up for like the last three episodes, and I'm really excited because I even have an outline. So it's going to be super awesome, and it's going to be as comprehensive as possible in like an hour and a little bit. So obviously we might miss things, but that's what the Discord community is for if you want to talk to us after we've posted this. Um, Corey's going to start us off, though, with a really short discussion about things that have been happening outside of the fandom sphere, just really briefly. Well, I mean, it's happening within a fandom sphere, just not one you're part of. Um, yeah, yes. Yes, sorry. <laughs> I'm in the fragrance community, um, short for Fragcom. And recently there's been a little bit of a brouhaha um, relating to the well, relating to the Charlie Hebdo um, Muslim caricatures. And basically a YouTuber, uh, Fragmental, reviewed Nick Stewart from Gallivant Perfumes. And in the interview, in very prime, visible center space, was a caricature of the prophet, peace be upon him. So (sighs) there was some backlash, and Gallivant's IG went silent for a little while, and then they just mysteriously popped back up as though nothing had happened. And I'm honestly keeping an eye on everyone who just rushed back to be like, oh, I missed you. I'm like, "Mm mm-hmm. I I did want to talk about, uh, obviously, there's a lot of discussion in the news with the caricatures, and unfortunately, and we shouldn't have to say this, but we strongly, strongly, strongly condemn the violence that has resulted from this. Um, There have been, I think, three people that have been murdered. I mean, it goes without saying, that's not Islam. (laughs) That's somebody perverting their own hatred and fury and using Islam to justify it. Yeah. That said, it concerns me that in a country that already has an Islamophobia problem, it seems like because of this, a lot of non-Muslims are now conflating, oh, in France, it's patriotic to have the right to offend with the right to offend Muslims. Mm -hmm. And Islamophobia. And it's um, uh, again, France has years worth of Islamophobia that it hasn't dealt with. And I think it's just, it's a dangerous precedent that people are rallying around this to conflate. I have a right to my free speech means I also have a right to be bigoted to a group of people. And I'm going to link to an article that I think really explains this very well in the actual article on our site. So if you are listening to this from another podcast distribution platform, we do have an article for every podcast episode we publish on our main fundamental site. So if you want to go uh, look that article up, I will uh, have a link there that goes to a very thoughtful piece that I think does a really good job breaking down why it's dangerous to conflate I have the right of free speech. I have the right to mock whoever I want when it also goes hand in hand with punching down on minority groups. Yeah. And the only thing I would add, because I'm sure this article details it too, 
but but the Islamophobia in France is very specifically linked to anti-blackness because of the history with Algeria and, and a whole host of, I mean, that's a separate episode entirely, but I think the fact that, that it's sprung up again specifically in this time period that we're dealing with when there's a lot of unrest in a lot of different places, specifically linking back to the ways that Muslims are being treated, and then for it to be proliferating in areas like Fragdom and other, uh, Frag Club, sorry, we call, we, we have a joke about the, the Fragus people who follow us and, you know, our little group being Fragdamentals, but the Frag community and just the related, you know, there's a lot to be concerned about there. And I think there's a very fine line between, you know, like Muslims talking about depictions of the prophet, which there are Muslims who do in fact do that, whether we agree with them or not. And then people who are clearly doing it because they want to get a rise out of people. So, uh, you know, and I will say I was worried about, I was very heartened to see that there were a lot of people like in our immediate sphere of Fragcom that we interact with that were very much, you know, Gallivant and Nick, like, this is not okay. You need to apologize. Uh, you need to take mm-hmm. this down. This is not okay. So it was, and it was, I'm optimistic at the amount of people that did come out to call that out as being not okay. And it is offensive, but it's still, obviously he didn't have a problem with it and he doesn't seem to be in a rush to apologize and just seems to be wanting to brush it under the rug. So there's obviously still some work to do. Yeah. And that's honestly a great segue into our actual discussion, which is all about fandoms and fandom history. And specifically, we've talked about at length, you know, our concerns with fandom. And so where I'm trying to take us to the end of this session, if you will, is how fandom has become this representation of almost religion. Not that there's a God in fandom or that there's, you know, this like ritualized aspect that everybody agrees with or any of that, which is what happens in a lot of monotheistic religions. But there is a lot to be said about the fact that like idolatry, like you are in love with your favorite character or you're in love with this actor who plays the character and what that means for criticism and, and what we're seeing, especially in the last two years, three years, when it comes to conversations around like the way that certain groups are represented. So to take us to that point, I have to start with history And for those of you who probably already know, I mean, fandoms existed since kind of the beginning of time. A lot of classics are just fan fiction of other things. And we're going to jump way forward for the sake of time and start with Star Trek. So when Star Trek really got popular, which by the way, shout out to Lucy for making it happen. There were a lot of different fan conventions that were super local in the 70s and 80s. And I'll be sharing a link, same webpage will have links to all of the stuff we're referring back to um, so you can read all of the cool things but the Star Trek fandom was really large and you know really fronted by women who were meeting and sending each other signs and binders well they weren't sending binders in the mail but they were sending you know physical printed out fan fiction and things like that and so Star Trek became this huge enigma to a lot of companies because they were like like, why is this specific sci-fi show such a big deal? Like, people are meeting and, like, hanging out and coming together. And that kind of has gotten us to this point now where, over time, a lot of different media products became capitalized in the way they were used to. So that brings us things like Harry Potter, Twilight. Obviously, right now, the entire Marvel Universe, Disney products, they're kind of the bigwigs. And because of those products and the way that they were marketed we've come to this point where now people really identify themselves with these these characters and these worlds. And I mean, Harry Potter by itself is a whole episode, right? You've got Potterverse, you've got 
the Hogwarts, um, I was about to say exhibit, it's not a museum, but like the, the, the Disney World, um, what do they, is it exhibit? What do they call Disney World places? Corey, help. I don't know what, what is, the name I'm is. I'm trying to figure out what you're talking about. Like, where do you go and it's like the Hogwarts replica. Like, you could go into Hogwarts and buy a wand and, like, do the whole thing. Ollivanders? Yeah, but, like, what, experience? I don't know. Whatever. When you go to Disney, you get to do the whole thing. That's what I'm trying to say. It is also, we are recording way later than usual, so my brain is, like, struggling. Um, but Disney World having a whole Harry Potter experience for the fans means that you can spend your money. You mean Universal. Get to do all- Thank you. There we go. See? Struggle busting over That's here. what you were trying to get out? That is not... <laughs> <laughs> I am a struggle bus at 6 p.m. Like, that was not what you were getting at. <laughs> the sun is down. I am so sorry. But the point that I was trying to make is that when you can go through that whole experiential, you know, connected to this fandom... It becomes this really easy thing, not only just for, obviously, Disney and, and Universal and everybody else to be like, here, come to our thing and, and spend time in um, this space. But it's if you come and spend time in the space and take home a wand or take home a superhero costume or take home whatever you want to put into the blank, you become one with this entity. And so now fandom has become this huge project of, we all know, you know, San Diego Comic-Con, New York Comic-Con. Those two are really clearly, like, marketing adventures. Like, the whole point is what WB and all of the other studios are going to show up. They're going to have all of this free stuff for people. You're going to get to talk to the celebrities if you pay. You'll get to see them speak about their characters, the content, etc. And it's completely, essentially broken the fourth wall. When for so long, pre-internet, the way that we know it, and even pre-social media, the way that we know it, you couldn't just go do that the way that you can now. And for folks who did, to actually be able to post about their experiences, I mean, you needed geosites and you needed all these other things that weren't quickly retweetable or shareable or rebloggable. You guys get my point. So that brings us then to something that I think a lot of people don't really realize is connected to all of this. It's easy to make the connection of like, oh yeah, like Twilight was a huge deal. Everybody loved the shipping chaos and Harry Potter is a huge deal because we had all these movies and all these books and all these spinoffs and everything else. And obviously I feel like talking about MCU is silly because we all know how big MCU is. But when the Thank Goodness It's Thursday blog on ABC became super popular on Twitter, primarily due to black women tweeting about scandal, Grey's Anatomy, and how to get away with murder, a whole bunch of other companies saw this and tried to create the same type of energy on social media. The biggest culprit would be the CW. Because if you think back to those of you who pay attention to any of the DC TV shows or even shows like Riverdale, you'll probably realize that a lot of the stuff that you've seen coming from their accounts was created specifically to cause discourse. So what I like to call discourse bait. And Corey, you're welcome to jump in at any point. I don't want. This I to just will be me say, um, MTV before they pivoted away from scripted shows was also mm-hmm. pretty guilty of that, especially with Teen mm-hmm. Wolf. And yes, yes, that bled into like queer baiting a popular slash ship to that point, <laughs> and I think that really kind of got a frenzy up. And yeah, it's it's not just the CW. But, I mean, MTV doesn't really do those shows anymore, so it's kind of hard to do the continued, there's still haram things happening. 
Right. And I mean, I think that's actually great because I frankly was going to just not because I don't have enough to say about Teen Wolf, but I mean, again, each one of these things deserves a whole episode and really people are writing about these academically and, and writing long form essays about each fandom that I brought up before. Teen Wolf actually just really quickly is a great example because the showrunner for Teen Wolf originally was on Criminal Minds, which was a broadcast show. And so the CW being a broadcast network occupies a very specific place in this whole history that MTV as a, excuse me, cable network and, and I mean, clearly most people, well, I shouldn't say most, many people were watching the episodes illegally, like duh. But as MTV, you had to pay for it. So it was, it was different and people weren't necessarily getting the same kind of interaction versus the CW, you can watch it online, you can watch it the day that it airs and they have their little streaming. Um, and then of course, partly why the CW loves to do its social media interactions the way it does is that when the Netflix deal happened, which now doesn't exist, but what it used to be was that Netflix would pay for all of the shows. And so if you were renewed, that means that Netflix was liking the show's delivery on their streaming. And then after the show ended in May, before COVID changed everything, the show would get to be posted on Netflix and then people could stream. So then folks internationally could get access to it who weren't watching it in other ways. And that would create a new wave of people talking about it and tweeting about it. And because it was airing weekly for the rest of us in the US and in some other um, locations like Canada, people then would um, constantly be talking about it. So because of that and trying to copy the TGIT method, we have a lot of different shows where it was this very much you know, we're going to tweet about this character and there's going to be the spoiler and now everyone's going to get really excited about the spoiler. But then people who are paying attention to like the filming behind the scenes, um, there's a couple of folks in Vancouver who tweet photos um, that they take in, including paparazzi and then folks who just like take photos from really far away. It's a whole, it's a, it's a place, it's a thing. It's interesting. Um, a lot of them actually are not great. So it's, it's, kind of wild watching their photos go viral because the people themselves suck. But anyways, you bring all of that together and now you've got this combination of we're going to have the CW, we're going to have other shows, um, Netflix shows that are really big like Sabrina the Teenage Witch um, or Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, I should say, or other shows that get this kind of feedback loop of we're going to post things, the fans are going to go wild, we're going to post new things, the fans are going to wild and then we're going to have fandom respond because there's going to be conventions like Supernatural. Supernatural had its whole convention um, universe where you would have local conventions in places as small, well, Dallas is a small, but you, you had conventions kind of happening all over the place. So people were constantly going to see Jared Jensen and Nisha and, and other folks as they would come to these events. And this is where I think the fourth wall going away has really caused a large part of the problems where if you go to a convention and you pay a ton of money to go speak to your favorite actor and the actor takes a nice photo with you and while you're taking that nice photo manages to somehow tell you something that's either semi a spoiler or just reinforces your belief about the character and then you go home and you tweet to the whole world oh my gosh let me tell you about this amazing experience that i had here's with this really cool photo they signed my t-shirt blah 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 but then at the end of your whole thread you say by the way this character this character this actor said something about this character that sets up a whole new round of the same feedback loop and parasocial thing where everybody now is like oh my gosh he said this or she said that or you have the you have the opposite where i told Corey i would not make this a supernatural episode so i'm not going to 
But you have the situation where someone writes an essay about Dean being bi and Jensen Ackles writing no question mark on the essay. And then the person goes on to write a book about the whole situation and then go on to write for Riverdale and give us the I'm a weirdo speech from, our, uh, from Junkhead. Which Corey's probably like, what do, does any of that mean? But for those of you who know what I'm talking about, you're fully aware of like how ridiculous that whole phrase is. But that happens a lot because a lot of people get to talk to a lot of celebrities because they pay lots of money to have these one-on-one -on -one meetings. Now, because of COVID, a lot of those meetings have been on Zoom, which as you can imagine, without any proof, people can kind of say whatever the heck they want even more now because there's no way to really ask for proof when you're in person and people can record videos, but then of course the celebrities could be like, whoa, why are you recording the time that we're meeting? So it's been really interesting to see how that's panned out, um, especially for situations like with Supernatural, the DC TV shows and everything. Well, see, that's again CW, but even in situations where you're going to see the MCU actors and uh, Hall H at Well, SCTC. it would happen, you know, like with Teen Wolf. Teen Wolf had their own little community of cons that would spring, spring up while the show was still running. Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, the discourse there was because Teen Wolf loved killing off women in POC, and, like, the fan would straight up be like, well, do you think this is blah, blah, like, right to Tyler Posey, of all people. I'm like, this my thing is, like, why do you guys ask the, ask, ask the actors this when they don't have any control over it mm -hmm. and put them on the spot like that? They can't agree with you. I mean, it's freaking Teen Wolf. It's not like Tyler Posey at that time had any super massive cred to be able to, like, let me shit talk Jeff Davis and nothing bad <laughs> will happen to my career. Right. Absolutely. But and, it goes back to the fourth ball breaking with the parasocial relationships of, like, you assume you have more familiarity with this person than you actually do. And you yes. forget the context in which you're talking to them. Especially because I think most people refuse to admit that the only reason that any of these actors go to these conventions is because they make a gazillion dollars. Like some of these actors make more money on one circuit of cons than they do their TV show. And for a while, the CTV, CTV, excuse me, DC TV shows especially were a huge part of this because Stephen Amell, who played um, Oliver Queen on the Arrow, along with some other folks, had created this convention uh, company called Heroes versus Villains Fan Fest, which I think actually just recently went under. So mm, that's awkward. But because he was doing that and because he was technically the agent for a lot of the other cast, he was making money on top of him going. He was making money off of the other actors going. And so when the news broke that the whole reason the last season of Arrow happened was because the CW begged him essentially and gave him even more money to show up. You know, I'm not going to get into like whether or not actors deserve all the money they make, blah, 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 whatever. But for side folks, for guest actors who don't make a ton of money when they show up anymore because of the way the TV has changed. I mean, I remember watching. So unfortunately, this is something I don't have a link to because it was an Instagram story live. But Sophia Bush was discussing the SAG after um, contract that just got signed a couple months ago and she was saying in her opinion and other actors opinion it wasn't a good enough contract because it didn't have any protections in place for the folks who are doing these Netflix series that are six seven eight episodes and as guest roles only got paid somewhere up to three thousand or you know even on the high end nine thousand dollars now you're thinking okay nine thousand dollars is a pretty large chunk of change right but then when you take off the taxes you take off all of the money that they have to pay for their agent PR person, 
lawyer, manager, et cetera, et cetera, manager, and you actually cut all of that out, when you divide it out by the number of hours they're stuck on set, it's not a lot of money. And so it makes complete sense that, you know, the kinds of folks that you're seeing at these cons, you see the big wigs, you see the folks who are in the movies, but that's why you see all of the ex-charmed actresses showing up. That's why you see a lot of the older Doctor Who actors showing up because they can just go to these cons back before COVID and they could take home up to, you know, 20, 30, 40, sometimes even $50,000 for the folks who are, you know, lower on the edge. And then folks like Mark Hamill and the Supernatural guys were getting over hundreds of thousands of dollars. So I think in one way, you know, I, I mean, hey, if you want to make money and not have to act, it makes total sense. You go on one weekend, you do five or six cons a year and you're set for that year. Because even again, when you take all of those taxes out for those cons and pay the people who booked you, you're still making buku money. And that's separate from all the money that you're going to make from all the autographs, from the one-on-ones, um, and et cetera. So with all that being said, I think what it makes it hard, especially for younger fandom people, right? I think those of us who are older and who have spent, like me, I mean, I've been watching this kind of stuff happen for over 10 years. I spend all of my time reading about it because it's literally like what I do for the website, right? I'm writing about this all the time and clearly on this podcast talking about it. But for a lot of folks who don't quite understand the economics of it, to them, it seems like I'm paying $40 on a low end to take this photograph with this celebrity. That celebrity is going to take the $40 and that just is the end of it. And they miss the whole other part of this ecosystem where it's a constant parasocial relationship creation of, I know the celebrity by name because I've seen them at six conventions and they know me my name. And so, they're, so we're close. Or even now, you know, <laughs> a lot of celebrities have been doing that thing where they post a phone number to text to. First of all, half the celebrities are not the ones texting you back. So sorry to break the bubble of anyone who thinks that that's the case. And the folks that are texting you back are still not going to know who you are and wouldn't be able to tell you out from a lineup unless you just happen to be super remarkable. And I say this as someone who has friends who literally has met every single person on the Legends of Tomorrow cast and is on name basis with them and gets tagged in tweets and things. That doesn't mean that she's friends with any of these people. And she doesn't think that either because she's aware of how this works. But because of the place that we're in now, where these fandoms have created such a large impact on fan culture, it's really hard to detangle that. And then that brings us to the main point that Corey and I kind of wanted to Can talk I about. jump in really yes. quick? Absolutely. Um, I also, and Sahara doesn't know I'm going to throw this one in here. There's a rise of celebrities that are joining OnlyFans. Yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of Tyler Posey, uh, Tyler Posey, <laughs> Austin Mahone, Bella Thorne, I think, Bella is Thorne. no longer allowed on there after the stunt she pulled. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's the permeation of like where this is starting to creep out, like beyond the text messages. Now you have certain celebrities that are joining only fans and the I mean you don't have to do porn on only fans I think there's a couple of people that just play video games on there for crying out loud but it is known for sexual content so I think it just further erodes that fourth wall and you know more power to the celebs who want to do it but I think it does play into further eroding that fourth wall because now it's like I can pay them for sexual things, you know? Yeah. And I think too, specifically these celebrities, they aren't posting sexual things, but they're still there for making money off of people on a platform specifically made 
by and for folks who are trying to make and and the thing too is like a lot of the sexual content out there is like a photo of someone in a bra and you know this episode and this podcast isn't about like that whole part of the world necessarily but I think it speaks to Bella Thorne you mentioned stunt like she Mm -hmm. did that because she wanted to make a ton of money off of people that she didn't need to make and so OnlyFans response to that besides banning her if that is what I haven't checked the updates on that recently but it's created a space that's made it even harder for folks who actually use that to live to Mm -hmm. do their to do their job because it's a job that they're doing it's not just I'm paying you and I think that's that goes back to my original point where it's like these fan conventions the celebrities might have fun, although to be frank, I don't know how they could when people are up in your personal space, in your personal lives, and also some of the photo requests are just absolutely garbage, but whatever. If they are in fact having fun, that still doesn't change the fact that they're getting paid to do it. Because mm-hmm. even if the convention doesn't pay them, the folks showing up to pay them for those photos and those autographs and those one-on-one meets are. And so I think in one way, the Zoom shift has actually been safe for a lot of the celebrities especially the folks who people get super into because there's always a person you know even in the one-to-one in-person meetings there was a person hanging out like a handler or you know a staff person to keep eyes on things but it's harder for someone to like shut down a really awkward hug or or shut down a person getting up in your space and handing you a letter about every trauma they've ever faced because for some reason people think celebrities want to hear about that we've had that conversation on this podcast before so we won't get into it more however on zoom if you say something weird or if you're getting creepy, that person can just boot you right out and you're done, right? And you don't get your money back. You, you can't fight about it. Like you cross that line. That celebrity now can take the time for the rest of that session to like recoup from whatever just happened and then move forward to the next session. So I think in one way that is pretty awesome. And I, I am excited and intrigued to see how this continues because let's be honest, cons aren't coming back in person next year either. Frankly, they're probably not coming back until 2022. But I think between the cons, between the social media chaos and, and the ways that different networks have kind of tried to mon- monopolize and, and make money off of this because, especially the CW, I bring them up again because their ratings, as we all know, don't, they don't have ratings. Like they have shows that are doing 0.0 right now that they got from other countries because there's nothing to air because COVID. However, the more that you see them talking on social media, and, and to be fair, Twitter is a very small microcosm of the world. There's only 300 million users, and of those, like only 10% are usually active. So, I mean, that's not a lot of people. But if you constantly have your fans, you know, if you have the Elicities fighting the West Islands, fighting the Supercores versus whoever the heck you want to put on this list of ships, you have this constant frothing of the fandom ready to go so that if you drop a sneak peek or if you drop a interview or a spoiler, you've constantly got them going. Which brings I us really to the thought you I- said this list of shits. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, I didn't say that, but some of those ships are definitely problematic, if you will. Um, but speaking of ships, I think, you know, Corey brought up earlier with the Teen Wolf. Fans sending a, a, a studio cookies with their ship on them is a little bit much. Well, they give Let's them like say. erotic fanfic, like the well, actors' yeah. erotic fanfic. Well, I was talking about the cookie, the cookie gate that happened with with Steric, or was the cupcakes? I've been alive for cupcakes. too long to even remember. But the point is, <laughs> the point is, it's an erosion like, of the fourth wall. Neither of those things should have happened. Yes, this. That's exactly what I was trying to say. But then I got distracted trying to think about whether it was cupcakes or cookies. Now I um, want chocolate. 
well, see, this time it wasn't me who brought up the ice cream. All of our listeners are like, God dang it, they couldn't even last one episode. Anyway, queer bait. <laughs> queer bait. Okay, so um, for those of you who are unaware and are confused, and I don't mean this in a negative way, I mean like generally people don't know what queer bait means anymore. Queer baiting is specifically when the writers and the studio and the folks who are in charge and therefore not the actors try to get LGB and TQ viewers in by saying that there's going to be LGBT characters and or ships involved in some capacity. And then they don't deliver on it because the whole point was just to get eyes. An example of this would be when people were like, oh my gosh, Betty and Veronica might kiss from Riverdale, which was specifically both queer bait and discourse bait. This is, this is the situation that happened in Hawaii Five-O, which was a CBS procedural. And the whole premise was like rom-com, buddy, buddy cop series. And the two of them said, I love you to each other a bunch of times. Then at the end, the writer, who by the way got fired for being an absolute garbage person, Peter Lenkov, wrote it so that in the ending, one of the main guys leaves and is on the plane with a girl. Like that, that's queer bait. A lot of people, unfortunately, have started queer baiting themselves because they thought the ship was ever going to happen, even though the writers explicitly said no, and the cast explicitly said no, can sometimes I in spec- song. Can I cut in really quick? Yes. It is not queer bait when you do not get the ship you want, especially when the cast and the writers and everybody involved have said it's not going to happen. Like they've been very upfront and especially when they give you other queer content. Yes. That's the thing. Like I, I'm talking about Supergirl. We know I'm talking about Supergirl. Um, oh, and I said a song. So, I mean, if you don't know the cast saying a song about how Supercore is not happening. Like they were very, very upfront. Supercore is not going to happen. They have multiple other queer characters on that show. They're not queer baiting you. They told you it wasn't going to happen. So I don't understand why there's vitriol. You, you still, it's the erosion of the fourth wall again. It goes back to you seem to think you have control over the show just because you watch it, which isn't the case. Just because you want to see a ship happen doesn't mean you necessarily get to see, that, get, get to see it become canon. You just got to take your clown shoes off and your rose glasses off and you just got to deal with it and look let's be real i don't mean that in a i'm laughing at you because i think it's funny that you fell for it or anything like that like i fully am aware of the fact that it sucks when you have wrapped yourself up in a fandom or a ship or a show because it means something to you and you've connected to it and it's important but i think that's the larger issue that we're trying to get and we're now here at that point of this episode is that queer baiting lgbt content other content that's representative specifically minoritized and marginalized communities. You know, Corey and I have talked at length about Adina on the bold type and other Muslim characters. Azari, for example, is one of our favorites. She's incredible because she is realistic and doesn't fit any stereotype and is a full fleshed out character, which is something you don't usually get on Legends of Tomorrow. So, I mean, or hey, Yaz from the- um, <laughs> Doctor Who. Doctor Who. Talked exactly. about Doctor Who a lot. Exactly. And so I think the, the dilemma that I think people are having with the fourth wall now being non-existent and because of the way that we consume everything and its mother in this country and because of global capitalism, at the end of the day, everyone has to realize that the shows are commodities, the, the characters are commodities, and unfortunately, the actors are commodities for the studios. On the flip side of that, the audience is a commodity. I am a commodity to the audience, to the audience, sorry. I and the audience am a commodity because the network knows that if they have butts and seats, 
they could sell ad space. And that is literally the only reason why any of these TV shows function. Like, we can argue about whether or not that's a good way to sell TV. We can argue about whether or not we agree that Nielsen ratings have to change. All of that is unrelated to the actual truth of it being that regardless of whether or not the CW has ratings, the whole reason why they're allowed on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and everywhere else is because they want people watching it so they can sell ads to them. And so if you remember that, then no matter what the show does, you don't get as distraught and, and harmed by it. Because at the end of the day, again, I am fully aware that situations like, I'll just say it, like the whole Klexa thing was not great. What Jason Rothenberg did was not great. At the end of the day, that was four years ago. We have to move on. We, we just, we have to move forward and support the shows that actually care about us if we want those shows to continue. We, Corey has said this before, I've said this before. You can't be like, oh my gosh, I want these two characters to get together and completely ignore the two, cough, Supergirl, that are actually together and actually getting a story arc. And by the way, actually has a black woman as one of the two leads, not a fake brown woman like it used to. So sorry to be that person, but I'm just gonna say it like that. Um, and the reason too, like people who are listening are like, wow, we're really talking about the CW. It's just because they're a really good example of the issues. I mean, there's clearly stuff on Freeform, there's stuff on the broadca other broadcast networks, but the other broadcast networks don't do quite of this as do this quite as much because the ratings are already there. They already advertise mm -hmm. to the people they need to advertise to, and it's not the end of the world. I think um, like the closest you could say maybe like with Netflix, like with Stranger Things. Sure. Except I don't even think the Stranger Things show courts it the way that the CW does. And they sure, mm -hmm. the, the amount of obsession with the children acting on there is also just very disturbing to me personally. But, you know, there are certain shows, I think, on like Netflix, like with Stranger Things, where you have fandoms who really, really need to learn where the fourth wall is. Um, especially, especially in relationship with children. <laughs> I, I, lot, I can't remember what that show is. Why can't I remember what that gold show is? Gold type? Yeah, the you've got type. the gold type that they made a really big deal about Adina for a while before they just completely, pardon my language, shat the bed with that. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, they did it with Cat too. But, you, you know, you see yeah. them that they, they hype it. That's my other issue here is like you have shows that is maybe not the CW. Let's mm -hmm. hype it. This is like maybe one area where the CW was better, which is really sad. They don't hype and hype and hype that we have representation and then just completely and utterly shit the bed with it. Like it was the same thing with the mermaid show that I don't remember, but they had a polyamorous multiracial. Siren. Yeah. Siren. They shat the bed with that. They shat the bed with the bold type. I, I'm, I'm really sad to say I completely expect them to shit the bed again with Motherland Fort Salem because that's their track record. At least when the CW is bringing on diverse characters, they at least try not to shit the bed. I don't say they succeed all the time, but just the sheer levels of fail well are not there. Yeah. And I think, too, I mean, it's one of those things where I don't necessarily even blame the writer's independently of everybody else it's a it's a multi-faceted problem because at the end of the day it just it does go down to the fact that like the studios don't care because the studio's only job is to produce tv for again advertising and so i think a great example of this we'll bring it back to the cw because again we just have good unfortunately they give us a lot of our examples 
you know, all of the black women on the DC TV shows have mm -hmm. created a sisterhood to deal with the fact that all they get on the internet is racist garbage thrown at them. And WB never once until literally this year because of Black Lives Matter and the fact that everybody was at their freaking final limit, um, refused to ever even have a social media policy about blocking people. Because the other thing too, is if the CW cast don't interact on Twitter, I don't know that they necessarily get in trouble. And I don't even want to go as far as to say that it's in their contract necessarily. But the thing about convention appearances, even if they're getting paid because of the autographs and stuff, like that's part of their larger contract. Like that's a part of their larger responsibility to the studio. So if you're not going to protect your cast and if you're not going to protect even people like Katie Lost, who I cannot stand and I'm not going to get into because we don't have the time. But, but if Katie Lost has a stalker, and you're not going to do anything to support her to get rid of that stalker who's showing up to convention after convention and finding out which hotel she's in, you have failed your staff, right? Because at the end of the day, you were the employer, the studios employ these actors to do the job. And so if you're not going to protect any of the actors, I have no trust for how you're treating everyone else behind the scenes. And we know, obviously, at length, I've written about it Anyone can just Google the CW and see all the crap that's happened. They're not doing a great job with most of their sets. In fact, frankly, the majority of Hollywood is a garbage fire, but that's an episode for another day. If you're not taking care of your, your employees and then you're expecting them to deal with all the crap that the fans are throwing at them, which is, you know, created because you want them to have that constant back and forth and you're not putting up the fourth wall again, then you don't get to complain. I mean, let me rewind for a second. Fans are going to do what they're going to do because unfortunately in the U.S. context especially, people love to feel entitled and think that they can access whoever they want, however they want. And these celebrities aren't real people. They're just, you know, representations of their characters and therefore they can do whatever the heck they want, even if it's awful. But the studios also don't make that situation any better. So I think what's happening now is we don't have a fourth wall at all. It's completely non-existent. Um, you know, Corey and I could do a whole episode on like animated content with the shows like She-Ra and Voltron and... Um, universe because they were written over time and not pre-planned necessarily and so all of the chaos on the internet kind of definitely bled into those shows for better or worse in my opinion worse but like I said don't have time for us to get into it too for detail but I want to point that out because I think it's another example of what's happening the CW shows too they don't respond to the fans for changing the storyline quite as much but the whole reason Felicity exists is because she showed up and people loved her and the the writers loved her and then we didn't have the end game that you would expect from a arrow green arrow series and you know that's again a lot happened there and it is what it is the show's done the universe is starting to wind down as things have changed supergirl is now ending flash is probably on its way out legends of tomorrow etc that still has a huge impact because you've created this huge group of fans now who are dedicated to following you through to the very end of this whole universe because of the crossovers and you know all of the tie-ins and everything and so when you have all of this happen you have a space now where fandom is treated like this religious space or or a space where people again i bring it back to the idol idolatry comment where it's like if i love x actor or if i love x character they can do no wrong in my eyes and i must be faithful to them till the end of time so if anyone brings up a point about them being a bad person in the show, right? Like if the character is a bad character because they killed a lot of people or they've done awful things to a person or they're an abusive character, if someone t tells me that, then that is a personal attack on me because I follow that character again to death, right? 
And if that expands to the actor or the actress who there is literally proof of that person doing whatever the bad thing might be. For some folks, that's something racist. For some folks, that's something sexist. I'm not going to like try to detail every single bad thing a person might do because that's silly and we'd be here for the next year. But, you know, just think of any time you've heard of a celebrity doing something awful and you didn't like it. If you bring that up to this fan, that fan is going to go, no, I refuse to listen to you. And while there are plenty of fans who are thoughtful and who are able to take criticism and understand that they are not, in fact, an extension of the show character person content, I would argue that the majority of fandom, at least that's loud on the internet and that is loud in archive of our own and other places, they can't take that criticism because they think they're part of that person. And so what we've got now is not only do we have a completely eroded fourth wall, we have now fully connected ourselves to these creations. We have fully become one with these creations. And not only is that incredibly unhealthy for people of any age, but it is incredibly unhealthy when there are people who have, and I'm going to preface this with, this is a joke on the internet. I am not insulting people who have kids who are in fandom. But if you are a mom or a dad and you have children and you are spending your time insulting teenagers because they have the gall to call you out on your shit, you should probably take yourself off the internet and go spend time with your kids. And I think that's the kind of energy that like we are having so much more of, especially right now with COVID, like everyone's stuck at home. But you have stuff on and fandom where people will bring up, hey, that way that you wrote this Muslim character, for example, Joe from the old guard. Unfortunately, for those of us who understand anything about race and gender, he has been written many times in many of the fics as kind of this aggressive, libidinous, romantic character who is the top all times with Nikki. And that is a problem. You should not be writing Muslim characters like that. And you could put it any man of color and you'll have this issue. Um, Poe got it a lot when people were really getting to writing the Star Wars. He was a super romantic Latino character and always the aggressor with Finn and Rey and et cetera, et cetera. And I think when people criticize writers for doing that kind of thing, they take it personally. And Corey can speak to this with other fandoms that she's seen it in where it's like, you know, we talked about this, God, 12 episodes ago, where if you're writing a character who is from a very specific type of background, to not have a line where the parents are wondering where the hell their child is speaks to your inability of understanding what that culture. That's no, I'm just like, saying in general. Yeah. Just in general. Not this show, obviously, but in general. Like, this happens all the time. And so the point that I'm trying to make in this very long-winded exploration of this whole issue is that we have to move away from making fandom being an extension of our personalities and an extension of our belief systems and and especially in the context of like black or white thinking like we have to move beyond the fact that at the end of the day like these are fake characters and these real people who play these characters don't know you don't care about you and are just there to produce content like they get paid to produce that content and that's what they need to do do they enjoy speaking to their fans yes do fans enjoy getting to meet their favorite people when they get to see them pre-COVID and on Zoom? Absolutely. Is there a way to interact and engage with fandom and content in healthy ways? Yes. Is that what's currently happening? Not so much. So for me personally, as someone who's kind of like watching a lot of this from the outside, because I am the kind of person who if someone does something shitty, my interest in that show, person, character thing is immediately done. Like it's very easy for me to be like, cool. I liked the thing before it became awful and when I move on with my life and find something else. I know that's not the case for everybody and I'm not even saying that that it necessarily should be. I just want to challenge anyone who's listening to this and in general, people to really think about the way they're engaging with fictional content and the people who are in charge of writing that content 
or portraying that content because at the end of the day it is fiction and not the real world yeah Corey, any, <laughs> any other thoughts comments concerns um i mean you've pretty much said anything i was gonna say probably more concisely because i mean you, sahara and i have had multiple talks about specific fandoms that i've seen just really awful behavior from and yeah. i've been bothered by and like there there's times where sahara has to tell me it's like why do you keep looking at this stuff i i would really counsel people to remember the fourth wall was there for a reason and i think it really kind of crumbled and I'm not saying it has to completely go back up but there is um sometimes walls are good yeah sometimes maybe three quarters of that wall needs to go back up <laughs> let it be see-through but like there needs to be a, a barrier of some sort so that everyone can just kind of retreat to their own sides and like think through the way they're acting about things and I, I do yeah. actually have a really good point I want to make when it comes to fan fiction the reason why I point out that like these are fictional characters and it's not the real world is that they do in fact represent the real world in ways that we don't always want to admit, right? Because at the end of the day, everyone who is coming to the table to write, portray, draw, whatever you want to say, create a character or content is coming to that with all of the biases that we all have grown up with, whatever, wherever we live, whoever we are, whatever. And so when you have, racist content i'm just using racist racism as one example though clearly sexism to sexism you know the list is endless unfortunately that's going to show up and so when people especially black fans especially other fans of color are saying hey this thing that you wrote or this thing that you said or this thing that you did is xyz your immediate response should not be oh my gosh no you're lying and i didn't do that and i didn't have an intention of doing this blah blah blah, blah. don't your immediately go on the be- defensive and become combative Yes. Your response should just be like, thank you for letting me know. I'm going to deal with it. And whether that means you write the thing or you take it down or whatever, like at the end of the day, those of us who are marginalized have enough shit to deal with. The last thing we want is to go into a fandom space where we're trying to interact with other people who care about the same things we do and just deal with an onslaught of awful, awful behavior. Um, mm-hmm. And that's why I brought up, like, the Poe character, and that's why I brought up Joe and the Old Guard, because we've talked about Old Guard recently, and also this is an episode of That's Haram, so bringing it back to the Islam. You know, like, if you're not Muslim and you don't know anything about Islam, like, maybe don't write a whole treatise about how Joe understands Islam, just because you watched a movie or read a few comics about the way that Greg Rucker wrote these characters, right? Like, I would say the same thing for folks who are Catholic or Christian and are trying to write about Nikki, like, just be respectful and thoughtful. Like, if you held something important to yourself and someone shat all over it, how would you feel? The, the golden rule here is really helpful. Like, treat other people like you would treat them. Speaking of conventions, if you're fortunate enough to be able to afford that shit to go, like, don't be up in people's spaces. How would you like it if some rando showed up in your back pocket and was like, hello, I'm going to creep on you now because I don't also, understand how female people work. <laughs> also, don't stalk them from their table to their hotel room and... Please, please, please don't do creepy poses and photos. That's my That's final takeaway here. It's like, please don't make <laughs> them feel uncomfortable in photo ops by asking for something that is very, very, very much pushing the limits. <laughs> and stop unloading all your trauma over them. They're not trained therapists. And even if there is an actor who was at one point trained as a therapist, that's not their job right now. 
Also, that's not I mean, healthy for the person who's having all that dumped on them. So yeah, yeah don't do that. <laughs> we we listen. This this podcast a lot of times is just me and Corey bitching because one, that's partly why we created it, right? Because we wanted to be like, hey, here are the things we're noticing in the world, and we want to talk about from a Muslim perspective and talk about in relation to media. But also at the end of the day, like we genuinely do want folks who are listening to this to like take away something from it. And so if you have opinions about this or had things that you think we should brought up or just want to hear about like you know where to find us you know where to find our discord and ways to contact us we do really want episodes like this one especially to be educated and informative and also our usual level of chaos and we don't mean to be i especially like personally speaking like i'm not trying to be like you can't have fun in fandom that is never the case. I have tons of fan and fandom with my friends. I literally create spreadsheets for this stuff because I'm a huge nerd. Corey can tell you, I once sat down and literally looked up every single gay character on a CW show for one of my articles. She so did. it's not like I'm not having fun with this or thinking about it. But at the end of the day, like nothing exists in a vacuum and you just can't do stuff uncritically, in my opinion. So I hope that this was a fun episode for you all. We brought it up a billion times. So it was exciting to finally get down to do it. Next month, we're talking all of our Christmas movies, which I'm sure everyone's like, wait, but you're Muslim. What? Well, you know what? Christmas movies are entertaining, and I have lots of opinions already from the five that I watched recently, <laughs> and Corey, growing up Christian, has opinions as well, and we're going to talk about what would be a wonderful Muslim holiday movie as well coming um, up. So stay don't tuned. Don't forget, uh, if, especially if you like this episode, please don't forget to rate us on Spotify or iTunes or Podchaser or whatever other platform you happen to find us on we're on a lot of them um please uh subscribe and rate our podcast episodes it greatly helps us out as well and don't forget to check out some of the other shows on our fundamentals network um we have and i'm going to pull up the list that taylor made for me beneath the screen of the ultra critics obviously we have that's rom ladies first the Fundamentalist, Unabashed Book Snobbery. We also have another podcast that I head up called Sartorial Splendor. So if you like, you know, fragrance and watches and all those little things, um, we have episodes of that out every month as well. So don't forget to check those out. We also have the ep- new show. Uh, what was it called? It came out after Taylor made this list for me. Um, all Bark, No Dice. Yes. As well. So don't forget to check that one out. It's uh, going to be a lot of fun with some interviews, uh, especially over in the TTRPG world, if that's your area of interest. Sahara, do you want to take us out? Um, thank you for listening. Please come back. We really appreciate all of the listeners that we have all over the world. It is actually really exciting to know that like someone out there enjoys our content. I hope all of you stay safe for the holiday that is at the end of this month. If you are going to be, go places, just please, for the love of everything that you care about be thoughtful and careful and please come back to us in December and just in general, be safe and wear a mask and do all the things you need to do. If you're in a place where COVID is still a thing, if you're not, I really envy you and hope that you're also staying safe. I wish I could be you, but unfortunately I live in Texas, so I'm just going to cry instead. Goodbye.